worship this morning. Come on, we're going to lift our voices. We're going to give God all the praise and all the glory. Amen.
just feel this morning that as we sing this song about having his presence come and rest on us, sometimes we have to give something up. We have to make room for that presence to actually be able to, to rest on us. And whether it's thoughts or things that have gone on this week, the heavy cares of the world, or something you're battling, whatever it is, sometimes it's just that we have to get so focused on the face of Jesus that nothing else matters. We have to realign our thoughts to him and to keep our eyes focused on him. And when we start to do that, that's when the door opens and we are allowing that presence to be able to fall and to be able to come into those places. So I just want you to press in this morning. I want you to press past whatever's going on, whatever you just came from, and to just focus and just keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the reason we're here this morning, right? That's why we're here. We're here because we have a Savior and we have somebody who can take whatever we're dealing with and he he, he knows exactly how to deal with it. We don't have to. So just give it to him this morning and give him the praise and the honor and the worship that he is worthy to receive this morning. Amen.
Jesus. All of you, oh God. Jesus. Turn us into what you say we are. Turn us into who you want us to be, Lord. We surrender ourselves to you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Redeeming Love. We are so happy that you are here today. We're just blessed to be in God's presence, but to have you join us in that. It's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So whether you're here, sitting in these chairs, or you're online, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are a church who believes in engaging God, engaging church, and engaging culture. One of the ways that we do that is with this card that you got when you came in. And if you didn't get one, please raise your hand. You can also find this card, the Engage card, on um, redeeminglovechurch.org. There's a little button you can you can click and fill it out. So we're just going to ask you that while the rest of um, you know my announcements and those announcements and every announcement, maybe even during church, if you think of something, that you would fill out your name. It's helpful to have a, a, a phone number and an email address. Um, and then on the back, there's prayer and praises, and we just really encourage you to fill that out. So if something comes to mind during the preaching, it's okay. It's all right for you to fill that out while Pastor Matt is preaching. We appreciate it, and we look forward to what you write. Um, we have water baptism class today at 11.45. So if you have signed up for baptism, or maybe even if you didn't, but you want to learn more, show up for that class, okay? We also have membership 101 today at 12 o'clock in the Sequoia room. Uh, for those to make, who need to make up missed classes or just starting the membership classes. So you can start the membership classes, but I know just from teaching it, when Fred and I were teaching it, um, there were several people who missed like class number one or class number three. They are sequential, and so if you missed class number one, today is your day. Go on in, okay? And then the Compass Care Walk. We talked a little bit about this uh, a couple weeks ago. It is going to be on Saturday, May 6th, and we'll be joining with Victorious Life Church in downtown Troy. So this is a fundraiser for Compass Care. For those of you who don't know what Compass Care is, it's an organization that works with um, unexpected pregnancies and brings life. It offers the opportunity to have your child. There's counseling available, all kinds of wonderful things. Too many to mention, but we support Compass Care as a church, and so it would be great if you could come out for the walk. Um, the idea is to get sponsors to support you as you walk. So we all do this for our kids in school, right? You, you say, well, I'll give you 50 cents for every laugh you make it around or I just give you a flat donation um, some people you know do don't understand and give ten dollars per lap do that do that for compass care okay make that mistake consciously and do that for compass care okay there will be more information coming in the form of a video during our video announcements today um, which we will have shortly let's pray for our kids okay Lord Jesus, we pray for engaged kids. We pray for the teachers. We pray for all the kids throughout this sanctuary, Lord God, that you would bless them, cause them to live all their days in you, in Jesus' name. So we are going to have some video announcements, and then Pastor Matt's going to bring the first message in the Joy-Filled Life series. 
God gave Compass Care the vision for a post for America in 2018, and we are now leading the charge nationally. Compass Care's plan is to continue to increase infrastructure to serve women in person who are traveling here from all over the country to get abortions, as well as reaching and serving women through telecare before she goes onto the teleabortions website to get these dangerous chemical abortion drugs mailed to her. When you know you're not alone, it's an amazing feeling. I wasn't expecting this much support, and I'm happy I came here. <laughs> the impact that they made on my life. My daughter wouldn't have been possible Without Compass Care, I probably would have had an abortion. Every time I look at my son, I smile. It was an amazing experience, and I, I thank God for Compass Care. We are pro-life because we believe that everyone is made in the image of God and deserving of blessing and protection. And let us walk together in that truth. Is it playing? There we go. No? Okay. We did have one more video. Uh, didn't want to play today, so we'll play it in a couple weeks. Uh, it's, the, it's the video with the new members on it, so um, we will see that soon. Uh, new and renewing members, I should say. Some of you have been here. We've, we've asked all of you, whether you've been here for a minute or you know forever, to redo your membership here at Redeeming Love, and uh, some of you have done that, so fantastic. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Thank you guys so much for being here today. It's lovely to see you all. Uh, quick word about Compass Care. Compass Care is a pro-life organization. We love uh, the, what the work that Compass Care is doing. Uh, like um, Elizabeth said, we support Compass Care uh, monthly as a church, so you guys support Compass Care Monthly as a church. Compass Care is unique from many other pregnancy resource centers that you'll find throughout the Capital District or throughout the nation in that Compass Care has the ability to reach abortion vulnerable women before they make the decision to have an abortion. And it's what really separates them from so many others. And they do that through um, uh, online stuff and things like that, but they reach women at the point of decision when they're thinking about having an abortion. And so this is what makes their, this is what makes their ministry so dynamic. And this is why we're so excited to partner with them and so excited to be behind them. Amen? Amen. So today we're going to talk about the joy-filled life, uh, first in a number of series. And so uh, I want to look at a few things that Jesus said um, regarding uh, the abundant life that we're to live, right? Because Jesus came and said, hey, we're supposed to live this abundant life. 
we're supposed to live, it's supposed to be better than what the reality of what many of us are seeing. So I want to read and I want to look at a few things that Jesus said by way of clarification this morning. John chapter 10, verse 7 through 10. It says this, it says, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep and all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. This is Jesus speaking. He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, Jesus said there were many who came before me. At this time when Jesus came, there were already antichrists or false Christs, false messiahs on the scene. Many beforehand, many after. The enemy came to try to confuse the work that Christ would do. But Jesus came and he makes this audacious statement. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So what does the abundant life look like? Are we living it? And if we're not living the abundant life, why? You know, one of the things that I want to address, and I'm going to do that here this morning, is that when we begin to talk about this abundant life, when we begin to talk about the joy-filled life, immediately, um, you, sometimes, not always, sometimes we'll get detractors, you know, oh, this is the, you know, this is, you know, whatever. And uh, I, want to, I want to address that clearly this morning, and I want to point out clearly that Jesus purposed that we would have joy, that we would uh, live the abundant life, that we would prosper, right? Not that this is a prosperity message, not that this is the prosperity gospel, we don't believe in that, but we're supposed to live above in a certain realm. We're supposed to live an abundant life, and so I want to talk to you this morning about what that looks like and that it's okay for us to live there. Matthew 19, 27 through 30, Jesus has just talked to the rich young ruler, told him to go and sell all that he had and come and follow me. And then there's this discussion that happens, which is wonderful. Uh, I don't have time to get into all that was said this morning. We'd, we would get stuck there and we would not finish. We would not finish the message. So he, well, I'm going to jump in here in verse 27. Peter, after having this conversation go on with the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler departs. And then Peter asks this question, and he says, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits upon his throne in glory, all of you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake, here's the underlying part, shall receive a hundredfold and eternal life. And so what we can understand by context here is that he's talking about the disciples receiving a hundredfold in this age. In this age. Before we die. Because after that comes eternal life. And so we're not, there's this wrong thinking mentality that we're supposed to live this poverty, men, this poverty lifestyle. There's this wrong thinking mentality that we're supposed to like be self-deprecating, right? Which is an idea that started back in the 600 AD. It's wrong. It's wrong. 
We're supposed to live the abundant life. We're supposed to live the joy-filled life. We're supposed to have all of our needs met and then some. Is he Jehovah Jireh or not? Is he the Lord my provider or not? His name is Jehovah Jireh. It means the Lord my provider. Does he provide everything that I need or doesn't he? He either can or he can't. He can't do both. He's not, he's not bipolar. He's not a bipolar God. He doesn't, he doesn't change with the wind depending. 3 John 1, 2 through 4 says this. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Here, here the Apostle John is, is saying, I, I pray that you prosper in everything you do. Prosper in everything you do. The problem with the prosperity, mess, the prosperity gospel is that it only focuses around health and wealth. Right? It, that's the only focus of it. That's, that's the furthest thing from the focus of, of what we are here at Redeeming Love. You're supposed to have joy in your life so that when you go out, you can give it to somebody else. Exactly. <laughs> this is not about me. I mean, I'm just the middleman. And as the middleman, if you guys haven't figured it out yet, I get blessed. As the middleman, I get joy. As the middleman, my joy just keeps increasing. Finances is the same way. Oh. <laughs> Here we go. Finances is the same way. The more I give out, the more the Lord gives. Why? Because it says in Corinthians that I might be able to give more so that I could give away more. It's not that I can keep more. It says, so that, it says so that your seed might increase. What do you do with seed? You scatter it. You don't stuff it in your pockets. It's not going to grow there. It, you just keep scattering, keep scattering, keep scattering. God wants to give you divine health so that you're encouraged in your faith so that you'll pray for someone else for divine health. It'll, it, will be a, it will be a shame if the only generation to have ever lived in perfect divine health is the, is the generation of the Israelites that were in the wilderness for 40 years that were disobedient. That'll be a shame if when we get to heaven that the, the generation that wandered for 40 years for their disobedience, if that'll be the only generation throughout the history of the world that lived in divine health. They did. They were never sick. Their shoes never wore out. Their clothes never wore out. It was, it was a divine thing of God. Well, he still does divine things, guys. I'm believing for divine health for me and this church. Come on, no more sickness in Jesus' name. It can't even enter in here. It, somebody enters in here that's sick, and they just get healed while they walk through the door. Just, just hang a, a curtain on the door. When you enter through, I love it. Let's do it. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when my brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. And so John is saying he has no greater joy than, than to understand that his kids, that his disciples, that those that he's taught, they're getting it. You know what makes me the most happy? Is when I see all of you guys getting it. When I see you guys living in joy. When I see you guys healing others. When I see you guys blessing others. When I see you guys doing all of the, the things that we're called to do. That's what gives my heart joy. When, when, when we're all doing our part. I, I have a, a, 
a certain disdain towards negative preaching, especially as it regards the church. And there are certain preachers, there are certain people, Christians, that come down upon other Christians. And I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Because the church is the bride of Christ. The whole church is the bride of Christ. Not just redeeming love, the whole church. And so the whole church involves every church that declares Jesus Christ as Lord. Billy Graham had four components that he uh, founded his ministry on, things that he said that he would do that ensured his success throughout a lifetime of ministry. A lifetime of ministry. Ministries were falling on the left and on the right, but Billy Graham said, we're going to do these four things, and these four things are going to ensure us success and longevity in ministry. And they are, number one, we will not lie about our numbers. We will not exaggerate our numbers. So when they had salvations out of place, they weren't going to exaggerate. If it was five, it was five. If it was 5,000, then it was 5,000. And we're not going to say that it was one more than it was, and we're not going to say that it was one less than it was. Truth in numbers. This is why it's so important that I get your testimonies, because I love to share the testimonies of healings, but I want to be accurate, and I refuse to exaggerate anything. Why? Same reason. Truth in reporting. Number two, uh, financial... Um, Security. So every time that the finances, we're not touching the money, right? Double counted, double blind. Uh, the accountant goes over everything, checks our books every month. There, there's no way that there could be any funny money. Number three, he refused to travel alone with a, a person of the opposite sex that wasn't family, right? Why? Because of the Me Too movement that came out. He was protected from it. How? Because he always had somebody else by his side. It's wisdom. And number four, we will not say anything negative about any other ministry. Come on. I think, I think some members, not this church, not us. I think some members, uh, 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 some of us in the Christian community, we need to get back to this. We need to highlight this a little bit more. Nothing, nothing, I get angry very few times. Nothing aggravates me more. <laughs> Then when I hear somebody talking negatively about another pastor, preacher, teacher, whatever it is, and uh, it, it really just gets under my skin in, in such a way. Why? Because Paul says, uh, first of all, he says, it's in um, 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 11. First of all, he says, I hear that there are divisions and factions among you. And then he says, you're biting down one another and this should not be. Then he says later in the same chapter, he says, there must be divisions among you. And so what does this mean? It means that there's going to be different expressions of Christianity. He didn't say there might be. He didn't say there was an off chance. He didn't say, hey, you know, you know, um, maybe, just maybe. No, he said there must be. There must be divisions among you. So we're going to have the Baptist and the, the evangelicals and the all these different expressions of Christianity. And that's okay. Do you know why? Because some of us are feelers. And some of us are thinkers, and some of us are in the middle, and some of us like this, and some of us like that, and some of us don't like this, and some of us don't like that. And so there's a place for everybody. And it's beautiful. And this is what I say at the end of the service when I'm talking about um, if you like it here, we'd love to have you here. But if not, I'll find you another church where, where you like it because I want you to go where you like. I'm, a, I'm all for all the churches. If they believe in Jesus, let's go. Let's do something together. I don't even, 
I don't even have to know that you, like, you don't even have to want to speak in tongues. As long as you're okay with me doing it, and you don't, you're not going to want to change me, let's work together. Why? Because the second part of the scripture says, there must be divisions among you in order to prove who's genuine. And so what that means is that when there's somebody else, another Christian that doesn't believe exactly like you, and you, you rail upon them, you come down upon them, you're pointing out all of the things that you think that they're doing wrong, it reveals more about your heart than it does about their theology. That's what the scripture just said. It says, I'll, I'll say it again, the scripture says, I don't have it up here because I wasn't really sure, I wasn't positive that I was going here this morning, but we went here. It says, um, somebody needs it. It says, uh, there must be divisions among you in order to prove who's genuine. And so Paul says there's going to be divisions. We're going to have some thinkers. We're going to have some feelers. My perfect match is that you guys all get together and do it together. But there's going to be divisions. You know, you're going to want to break off into different camps. And that's OK. It's actually going to happen. It must happen, Paul says. There must be divisions among you in order to prove who's genuine, right? The divisions are there so that we can weed ourselves out, so that we can look and see. And so if somebody's preaching and they're very negative about another church or about another ministry, flags should be going up. You should be like, okay, what are they saying? Why are they saying this? And so, <laughs> uh, all right, let's, let's keep going. Let's just keep going. I'll drop it right there. Perfect. There's a few misconceptions. We're talking about the abundant life. There's a few misconceptions that we have, and they've been derived from scriptures. And so I want to look at those scriptures today, and I'll bring clarity, right? So one of the misconceptions that we have in Christianity is that we should be poor. As Christians, we should be poor. And it comes from a scripture. Can we read the scripture together? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Poor in spirit is not poor. Poor in spirit is not poor. Poor in spirit is actually somebody who has a, a humble spirit and is able to look at themselves with humility and say, hey, I don't have, I don't, I haven't cornered the market on this God thing. You know, I don't have all the answers. I don't know how it all works. I'm just doing my best going after God. That's somebody who's poor in spirit. Somebody that's poor in spirit is humble and says, you know what? I, I, sure, I can do it, but maybe there's somebody that can do it better than me. Come on, give it a shot. We're all in this together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is heaven. No, it doesn't even say that the poor are going to heaven. It says the, the, the poor in spirit, those who are humble, are going to receive the kingdom of heaven, which is actually right here, right now. It's actually on the inside of you. The kingdom of God is on... <laughs> The kingdom of God is right here. It's inside of you. And all we have to do is we have to learn to let it out. And so blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I've got it. It's it, it, it. I sat with another young man uh, recently. I may have told this story already, but it's going to be told again. And, and, I, and I said this. I said, the kingdom of God is within you. And he said to me, this, this was a, this is a, a, a young pastor. And he says, you've said that to me before. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I've said that to you before. That's just scripture. I'm just pulling this right out of scripture. And I'm just speaking scripture to me. What do you mean? What do you mean I've said that before? This has nothing to do with I've said it. Jesus said it. The Bible says it. <laughs> the, 
The kingdom of God is within you. It's right here. Just let it out. Some joy. There you go. I don't know how it works. We're still working on that. Misconceptions. There's another one. Right? The next, the next misconception is that money's evil, so we can't, we got to stay away from it. That's not what it says. 1 Timothy 6.10, this is the scripture. For the love of money, someone say love. love. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Money is, a, is just an inanimate object. It's just a thing. If I had a hammer here today, I have a hammer. The hammer can be a wonderful tool that's used to build houses and sheds and, and the whole world in which we live, right? Hammer. But if I take that hammer and I come in anger, it can easily be used as a weapon. Yeah. And so the, the, the purpose of the, hand, the hammer is to build, but in the wrong hand, it can cause death. Same is true with money. Why is there money? Because the gold is his, the, 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 the cattle are his, the sheep is his, right? It's all his, meaning God's. God owns everything. But how many of you know that if you want to save women, this is what the, the Compass Care Walk for Life is, if you want to save women, it takes Compass Care, I, I believe it's $570 to treat, to treat one woman so that she can receive the needed uh, the need to care so that she will choose life over death. And so it costs money to do these things. And so God's a God of resources and he'll give them to, to different people to give to us, right? The gold is his, the, the silver is his, the cattle and the sheep, it's all his. It's all God's. But the way he gives it out is he gives it to so-and-so or he gives so-and-so the ability to acquire wealth and then so-and-so gets to give it out as he sees fit to whom he sees fit wherever he sees fit. And so God's going to be, uh, he's going to be careful with who he gives that to because he's got to give it, number one, to somebody who's going to be able to give it away. And he's got to give it to somebody who's got a heart that, that is going to look at things and know where to give it. But God knows all things, amen? Amen. All right. Here's an awesome uh, biblical prosperity definition. And so I just want to share this with you and then we'll jump right into joy. Joy. Biblical prosperity, you have no financial debt and you have enough resources to fill, fill every divine assignment God has for you and enough left over to help others fulfill theirs. That's prosperity. I love that definition, right? No debt, have no debt, and then you have enough resources to be able to do what you want, what God's called you to do, and then enough left over that I can bless you. You want to do that for God? I want to help you do that for God. Here. You want to do that for God? I want to help you do that for God. Here. You want to do that for God? I want to help you do that for God. Here. And so that's an often awesome definition of biblical prosperity. Okay, here we go. Galatians 5.22. Joy. Someone say it with me. Joy. Joy. Galatians 5.22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, or long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, 
envying one another. And so the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is joy. There's others. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I taught you a song. <laughs> Some of you remember it. Joy. And so fruit is a natural response to plants being healthy. Pastor Steve gave me some strawberries, dropped them off at my house yesterday. Strawberry plants. He didn't give me the actual strawberries. He gave me strawberry plants. I'm here to tell you that these are the nicest looking strawberry transplants that I've ever received. Sorry, guys. He gave them to me. <laughs> they were beautiful. They were fresh out of the garden. And the, the roots, obviously, sometimes they came up bare root. That's fine. Some of them were bare root. Some of them had some soil. The, the, the little corm at the bottom, the little bulb section that the strawberry has was really nice. It was strong. It was solid. It was sturdy. Had nice green leaves, right? Healthy green leaves. This is all important because the amount of leaves is going to determine the amount of berries that you're going to get. And then there were flower buds on these little plants. So you know what that means. That means I'm going to get some berries because the fruit, <laughs> the fruit follows the flower. So if you don't get a flower on your fruit tree, you're not going to get any fruit on your fruit tree. There's this, let me tell you about the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees. <laughs> the bee comes and pollinates the flower and then the flower turns into the fruit. Oh, you guys are too much fun. <laughs> I'm here to tell you today that fruit happens. Fruit just happens. Fruit happens. Sometimes fruit accidentally happens, but fruit just happens. Fruit happens. Fruit happens. When does fruit happen? Fruit happens when trees and plants are healthy. When trees and plants are healthy. Once in a while you'll get a once in a while you'll get a tree that had been healthy and it'll be in distress and it's like it's on its last leg and then you'll see it gets this banner crop of stuff but none of it ever comes to fruition and then it winds up dropping all those fruits before the end because the plant's so sick anyways and you didn't get any fruit. But healthy plants fruit. I, I have a garden. I'm a big gardener. I love, I love gardening. Rototilled my garden this week. I'm waiting because it's too early to set out my tomatoes. You know, that's more like May 15th. But I'm ahead of the schedule and I'm happy. And so I got my garden all ready to go. Do you know that as I sit in my garden, as I work in my garden, I don't hear my, my vegetable plants straining <laughs> to produce fruit? My tomato plants aren't out there like, if I only just tried harder, I'd make a tomato. My apple trees, you don't go over by my apple trees and hear them going like, <laughs> there's no effort, none, zero. They just, healthy trees produce fruit. And so when we're healthy, when we're in the Holy Spirit, when we're fellowshipping with God on a regular basis, we're going to have joy. Not only are we going to have joy, we're going to have every other fruit of the Spirit. I don't have any patience. Well, you need more time with the Holy Spirit. If you have no patience, I have the cure. It's right here, Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. I, I can tell you where to get it. Holy Spirit's got it. And it's a continual outpour for anyone who wants it. I'm happy being impatient, Pastor Matt. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> if we back up in the scripture here to like verse 14, there's a whole list of things that are evil. I don't think impatience is necessarily in there, but anger is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, we can have peace. Jesus came and he said, my peace I give to you. How many of us are walking in peace? Well, if you're watching the news, you're not walking in peace. Right? Because this world is not peaceful, but yet Jesus gave us his peace to walk through this world. And so it's the peace that passes understanding. We have the peace that passes understanding, but if we want the peace that passes understanding, sometimes we've got to let go of, of the right to understand something. I don't understand what it is. I don't understand what's behind it all. I don't know who's playing this game. I don't know what power, money, hungry person did what to whom and why. I don't, I, I'm not going to play this game. I'm just going to not have understanding, and then I'll have peace in it. I don't need to understand. And when I do need to understand, the Holy Spirit's going to tell me what I need to know. There is a principle. Oh, we'll, we'll come back to that. We'll keep moving on joy. Joy is not happiness. Happiness and joy are not the same thing. Happiness depends upon what happens. And if you want to be happy, then everything in your life has got to go right for you to be happy. Joy is not that way. Joy is based in eternity. And because joy is based in eternity, we can have joy no matter the situation that we face. And this is where Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame that we read last week. Joy is based in eternity. It's an eternal thing. The kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so joy is this element that comes from the kingdom of God. It comes from Jesus himself. It comes from God himself. And because we receive it from God, it transcends everything that happens in our life. Now, that's not to say that when things go wrong that we have to laugh our way through it. Although we can if we want. And we don't have to fake it. It's not about faking it. Although sometimes we fake a bad attitude, don't we? It's about understanding where God is bringing us. And because I understand where God is bringing me, the little bit of pain that I'm going through right now, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Next scripture that I have here, nine, Psalms 94, verse 12 out of the NLT. Other scriptures say different things, different words here rather than joyful. This is why I pulled NLT for this one. But it says, joyful are those you discipline, Lord those you teach with your instructions. And so joy comes through discipline. Joy comes by us having parameters, us having rules. I heard somebody talking about rules this morning. Well, if there were no rules, I don't know what I'd follow. We were talking about some video game, and I caught like just this snippet, and I'm like, wait a minute, what? And so I had questions, and we had a, a, brief con a, a brief conversation. But joy comes through discipline. The Ten Commandments, guys, they're here to protect your life, not steal the joy from it. All of the, all of the things that God told you to do, it's to, protect your, it's to protect your life from trouble, not to steal the joy and to steal the fun. 
The Bible says don't commit adultery, right? Why? That, it's not there to steal your fun. I'll tell you what's not fun. Divorce. Anybody that's ever been through it knows. I mean, I don't, anybody that's ever seen anybody go through it knows. You know, we play, this, we play this game. It's called cash flow, and it's a lot of fun. I love it. Some other people don't love it so much. I really enjoy it. When you go through a divorce <laughs> in the game, you lose all your cash. All. Somebody say all. All, all your cash. This man knows what he's talking about. All your cash. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the rules that God puts in our life are here so that we will have joy, so that we won't walk into something that's even worse. We tell our kids, we tell our kids, hey, don't touch the stove. You're stealing my fun not letting me touch the stove. Oh, yeah? How fun is third-degree burns? How fun is blisters on your hands? They hurt for hours and hours and sometimes days. Have you ever, you, you burnt yourself? Joy comes through discipline. You know, when we were raising our kids, uh, our children were, were well-disciplined, uh, so much so to the point that we actually had somebody, uh, had a, there was another younger mom that came up to uh, Pastor Stacy in the children's church one Sunday and said, I hear that you're quite the tyrant. Like, looking back, I'm thinking like, that's a, that's a strong choice of word. <laughs> we were, uh, I, we weren't tyrants, but we had, we were, we were, we disciplined our children. Our children knew what they were allowed to do. They knew what was expected of them. We set the bar and, you know, maybe they didn't measure up every day, but I'll tell you what, we had some of the happiest kids that we know. And to this day, our kids are some of the happiest kids that I know. And I'm not saying that by way of bragging. I'm just simply saying that because we had rules and parameters set in place, our kids knew exactly what to expect. And when we know exactly what to expect, kids are happy because there's parameters that they can work with. When we had, um, we had a friend, uh, our kids had a friend over one time, and... Um, we had this thing when our kids were little, it was count to three. Like, it was like, come here, and they weren't coming. You have until the count of three to come here. One, right? And so they just never, they, they, they learned quick. They didn't want to see three. They just knew, like, we, we don't want to let mom or dad, especially dad, we don't want to let them get to three. We don't want, we just can't let them get to three. Maybe they'll do a two and a half for us, but. Uh, it's dicey. I won't, I'm not taking that, <laughs> not taking that gamble. And so they, they had a friend over, and this, they were, we hadn't put the fence up in our yard yet, and there's an embankment that goes down to a culvert pipe, and it's unsafe for children. And so the kids were outside in the backyard playing. Next thing we know, uh, we look out, and the kids are out across. They're over by the bank looking down at the culvert pipe, and we're like, unsafe. And so out steps my wife onto the back and says, get over here. And so our kids come running because they know that we're serious. That was a serious tone of voice. And then their friend that was over there was just like, I don't have to listen to you. And so then, as is just our regular um, parenting strategy, you have until the count of three to come over. This is a friend. They may not understand three. <laughs> One. 
To which uh, one of my children that was standing nearby was like, oh, you better get over there before she hits three. <laughs> they knew. They knew. They knew. They knew. <laughs> Don't let them get to three. There were, there were uh, clear expectations. It was clear. So we can say discipline. Well, yes, we disciplined our children well, but there were clear expectations. It was set forth. They knew what to expect. They knew what was expected of them. And so while they operated within these parameters that we had set, they, were, they knew that they were good. They knew that they were okay. Part of the problem we have with the world today is that everyone wants to pull down all of the, all of the barriers and say, hey, just do anything. Well, what happens when we just do anything is we wind up injuring ourselves even worse. The word of God is, to here, is here to protect our life from all of these th things that we could get ourselves into. And so as we obey the word, we're protecting ourselves. John 5, 1 through 4 says this, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. This is why if, if somebody believes in Jesus and they maybe don't believe just exactly like I do, they're still born of God. What did Jesus say? I know I'm off on another little rabbit trail with this thing, but it's okay. Jesus, Jesus said, uh, John, and, John and James come to Jesus and they're like, hey, Jesus, listen, we saw somebody else over there casting out demons in your name and we stopped them expecting applause. And Jesus is like, why did you stop them? That's not the, what I want done. Let them do it. Whoever's not against me, he's for me. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves who is begotten of him. Whoever loves God also loves Jesus. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and we keep his commandments. We keep his commandments. We show our love for God by obeying his commandments. And this, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments, hello, are not burdensome. His commandments aren't burdensome. It's not work. It's not tough because you've got to follow what God says. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Anytime we emphasize the difficulty of obeying God's will above the rewards and fruits of carrying it out, we take a victim's approach to obedience. Yeah, I'll say it again. <laughs> Anytime we emphasize the difficulty of obeying God's will above the rewards and fruits of carrying it out, we take a victim's approach to obedience. Yeah, I got to go to church on Sunday. Victim's mentality. Yeah, I got to, you know, I can't do, I can't do that. You know, I'm a Christian. Victim's mentality. <laughs> yeah, you know, victim's mentality. Why are you a victim all the time? God put it here for your protection. I can't wait to go to church on Sunday. I'm telling you what, God, the glory of God is there. The will, the spirit of God is there. The presence of God is there. It's fantastic. There's actually no place that I'd rather be. But if you've got the victim's approach to men, the victim's approach to obedience, you're never going to get to the place where you're enjoying the presence of God. You can't enjoy the presence of God if you feel like it's work to come to church on Sunday. Your testimonies are also my delight. 
and my counselors. Man, that's a beautiful thing. The testimonies of God are a delight to me. They're a joy to my heart. And they counsel me. They tell me what I should do. So this is why we want to tell testimony. I love sharing testimony. I love gathering testimony. I love talking about testimonies. Uh, it's, my favorite, it's one of my favorite things to do because we talk about what God's done. We give God glory in doing so. And we also give one another faith and hope that he'll do it again in your life, in my life. And so I love telling testimonies. I'll tell testimonies even when people aren't asking for testimonies. Don't, don't be in a room and say, so have you seen a healing in your church? Don't do that. I've got 45 options here. And you know I'm starting with the best and the strongest because then it's like, wow! And then I'm like, oh yeah, yep, uh-huh. No, that's just the beginning. Let me continue. Why? Because I love telling testimonies. Uh, why? Because I love giving glory to God. And I love telling other people what God's about to do in the room. Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 119, 174, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law, your commandments, are my delight. Your commandments are my joy. Man, I love the word of God, and I love what the word of God has to say about the word of God. Psalm, one th Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's got 190, is it 98, 194 verses it's almost 200 verses long. All of them talk about the words or the testimonies or, or all of these different things, except for two verses. Out of 198 verses, there's only two that don't talk about the word or the testimonies or the commandments or, or whatever. So your homework, should you, accept, should you decide to accept it, is to go home and find those two verses out of Psalm 119. Find them. Be a good search. I love the law. I love the word. I, there, was, there was something that happened to me very early in my Christian walk that I adopted a love affair for the word, and I began to memorize the word straight away. I got saved in the month of uh, April, 92, so it's 31 years, so it's about, maybe it was May, 31 years ago I got saved. Uh, in August, I went to college, and immediately I started filling my dorm room wall. Uh, back then, in '92, when I went to college, they were we had to take a, a computer class called Word. <laughs> it wasn't Word '98 or I don't know '10 or something, whatever. It was Word. It was just Word, and so they were teaching us how to do documents creation, right? And so. What was I going to do? I took my Bible to my computer, to the computer lab, and I found scriptures that I had previously underlined that I liked, and I typed them out on 8 by 10 sheets of paper, made the font as big as possible, center justified, because this is what we're learning. <laughs> center justified, because it, it looks poet, poetic that way. Just a little, you know, just a little cue if you're doing this in your own room. Center justified, it looks poetic that way. And then, they were hanging right in my space, and so every time I'm, re I'm reading them and reading them and reading them and reading them and reading them. And so very early on, I, w I adopted this love affair with the Word. I adopted this hunger for the Word. Like, I just got to get it in me. How much can I shove down inside? How much can I lock inside my brain? How much can I know? Because what I, what I learned early, and I don't know how this happened so quickly. It's probably Pastor Tom's fault. 
But what I learned was that I had to know the word. I had to know the word. It was of utmost importance that if I didn't know the word, and so I just, I just absorbed, I just, I, I consumed it and consumed it and consumed it and consumed it. My first Bible would break at Matthew chapter 7. Broke right in half. I had two, I had one Bible in two pieces. And uh, I still have that Bible. But I, I developed this love affair with the Word of God. And shortly thereafter, I'm walking in joy all the time. I long for your salvation and your law is my delight. Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law, your word, is within my heart. I long, I delight, it's my joy to do the will of God. It's my joy to do the will of God. I delight to do the will of God. It's my joy to do the will of God. What is the will of God? Some things we know, some things are a little less uh, immediately available, but one thing that we know is that it's God's will that all men are saved and that none should perish. And so this is why no matter where I go, I always try and tell people about Jesus. Sometimes I do better, sometimes I don't do so well. And whether I do well or I do, whether I don't, I'm gonna, just going to keep doing it because I know that it's God's will that I tell other people about Jesus. Because it's, their, it's God's will that they get saved. And my Bible says that there is more rejoicing in heaven over just one person who gives their life to Christ than over 99 people who don't need to be saved. And so if that's the way that it is in heaven, then that's the way that it is here. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever it is there, I want it to be here. And so if God's going to, and the angels are going to be rejoicing up there over just one sinner that repents, then you better be sure that I'm going to be doing the same thing right here. I'm going to be rejoicing more over one person that gives their life to Christ than over 99 people that don't need to do it. So this is a priority in my life. Sharing Christ with others is a priority in my life. Why? Because it's important to God. He spells it out time and 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 time again. That was a lot of times. And it's even more than that. But it's his will. This is his desire. God wants to bring all of his kids together to him. Matthew 7, 14 tells us that that's not going to happen. Matthew 7, 21 tells us that's not going to happen, that all won't be saved, but it is God's will that they are. And so there's certain things that we can know about God's will. It's God's will that all men be saved. It's God's will, excuse me, it's God's will that you live the abundant life. It's God's will that you live a life filled with joy. It's God's will that you walk through this world of trials and tribulation and suffering and every other thing that we have to face with peace. Peace. Peace in the midst of circumstance. How was it that Jesus fell asleep in the boat in the middle of the night, in the middle of, the, in the middle of a storm? Because he had peace. He's the prince of peace. He had peace to cover every situation. Now, my guess is that he probably actually fell asleep. Two different accounts. There's a, he's asleep in the boat, and then he comes walking on the water, both in the middle of the night, both in the middle of the storm. My guess is that he fell asleep in the boat, and then the storm brewed, right? So either way, Jesus was in the boat asleep, and he wasn't woken by the storm because he had peace. What am I going to worry about the storm for? I told, Jesus told the disciples get in the boat and go to the other side. What did he say? He said, go to the other side. 
What's God's will? To go to the other side. They, the storm comes and the waves are crashing in the boat. And what do the disciples say? We're going to die here in the middle of the lake. That's not God's will. That's not God's will. God, Jesus told you what the will of God was. We're going to go to what? The other side. So anything less than the other side is not God's will. And so this storm is not God's will. So I'm going to rest in the peace of God's will. Jesus wakes up. He's fully aware of these things. And he's just like, this storm's not of God. I said, we're going to the other side. We're going to the other side. And he rebukes the storm and, and speaks to the waves. The waves stop. The storm ceases. There's a great calm. And the disciples are like, who is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. It's Jesus. He's the Messiah. We're called to live this life of peace. We're called to live this life of joy. And so when your detractors come and say, what are you so happy about? You can just say, hey, I'm living with Jesus. I've got the abundant life. Jesus wants this life for me. And so I'll say when they come, because it's not a question of if, it's more of a question of when. Someone's going to come at some point, and they're not going to be happy with the fact that you're just so happy. You, I told you, you get one or two responses to being really happy and joyful. First response is like, I just want to be around you all the time, man. You're so much fun. And then the other, the other response is like, I just can't stand being around you. You're just so happy all the time. <laughs> but so when your detractors come, just know and be prepared that, hey, this is the life that God called me to. And you're not going to talk me out of it. I'm not going to be miserable because you're miserable. There's, a, there's an old saying, misery likes company. That's fine. I'm just not going to be your company. I refuse to get miserable with you or for you. If you want to be miserable, you can be miserable all on your own. I'm going to live in joy because that's my portion. Jesus died on the cross so I could have joy, peace, love. I'm going to live there. I'm going to stay there. This is, this, I'm going to camp there. I'm actually going to set up. This is going to be my home. I'm going to live in joy. I'm going to live in peace. I'm, this is... And, and when people want to call me out of joy, I'll be like, mm, no, thank you. <laughs> call me out of peace. Eh, no, thank you. I, I talk to many people, and I'm sure you do. And, you know, there's no shortage of uh, catastrophes in the news. As a matter of fact, it's their job to go out and find the most ridiculous thing that's going on and then to make it sound even worse than it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, forget, I forget more than I remember when I read news headlines. I, I told you, I read the news because I, and I don't watch the news because when I read the news, I have the ability to dismiss what their, uh, their, their slant, and I can just see through, and I see the actual thing. So I was reading this article, and the headline was like, oh my gosh. And then when I read the article, I'm like, oh, really? And how many times is the news like that, right? They're breaking news. <laughs> First warning weather. Be careful, it's going to be sunny and 75 tomorrow. <laughs> We're here to warn you. <laughs> oh, stop it. So I, I'll get into a conversation, and somebody's, somebody, they watch the news. You know, they're, they're like morning, noon, and night. They've got hours of, of, tea with, of news watching under their belt every day. And they're like, oh, did you hear about this? Nope, didn't hear about it. Did you hear about this? Nope, didn't hear about it. Well, let me tell you about it. I really don't want to know. Listen, I don't need to know what Satan's doing in order for God to defeat Satan. 
I don't want to hear Satan's full story. And I'm not saying that everything that we hear in the news is Satan's story. But a lot of it is because of the slant, because of the bent, because of what we don't know. And so I'll choose not to listen. I'll choose to dismiss them because I don't need to know all that stuff. Actually, I'm protecting my faith by not knowing that stuff. What we need to do is we need to learn that we're protecting faith and we need to pull out the weeds of doubt and unbelief and we need to, we need to pull out the, the weeds of worry and concern over things that we can't change. We need to pull out the weeds of allowing the enemy's story to be told and retold and told again. That was really good. And nobody said amen. We have to pull out the weeds of the enemy telling his story over and over and over again. What happens when we hear a story over and over and over again? We tend to believe that it's true. If we don't believe that it's true here, we might begin to believe that it's true here. I'll say it for those that are listening. We might not believe that it's true in our mind, but we might believe that it's true in our heart. And so we need to, at some point, just stop the conversation and shut off the voice that's telling us the negative story so that we don't get dragged down and we can stay in joy. All right. I'm just going to pray for you guys. And uh, I just want to encourage you. Stay in a place. Protect your joy. I know that I'm talking about protecting it before I'm talking about how you get it, but that's coming, I'm telling you. Uh, Elizabeth is going to be speaking next week. I'm so excited to hear what she's going to have to say. Uh, she gave me a little uh, insight into her message. Love, 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 love it, uh, even though I haven't heard it. So don't miss that next week. That's super important for our joy, to protect our joy. And uh, I just want to pray for you. Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you for joy. And God, we pray that you would just give us a heart, Lord, to seek joy in our lives. God, give us a heart to celebrate God's commandments. Lord, we seek you in all things. And God, we ask for the joy of God to flow over us, to fill us, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Matt, we appreciate that so much. What an opportunity we have to get some joy right now. We're going to receive this morning's offering. My job is a lot easier if you see in your seat back this little um, uh, blurb on how to give. There's a number of ways to give. It'll be up on the screen as well. Four ways in person, online, QR code, mobile app. Don't hesitate to take advantage of that. I want to say, uh, along with what Pastor Matt said, that your joy is in proportion. There's a direct correlation between your joy and obedience. Sometimes the, the abundant life is not mysterious. It's, it's abundant obedience produces abundant life. So let's take a look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read this to you, just a verse or two out of the Amplified. Now, brothers and sisters, we want to tell you about the grace of God, which has been evident in the churches of Macedonia, awakening in them a longing to contribute. 
For during an ordeal of severe distress, their abundant joy, the uh, Passion Translation says, the super abundant joy, contributed, even though they had deep poverty, overflowed in the wealth of their lavish generosity. Now, just real quickly, grace came, produced in them an awakening to contribute generously. They obeyed, and everyone got blessed. There is a direct correlation between joy and obedience. You could just say, you know, I was in the worst mood one could be in, and then out of nowhere, I got this overwhelming desire to contribute generosity. Maybe you pull up on the side of the road, and there's a guy with a sign, and he says, you know, any help, any help will help. And you're in a bad mood, but this desire hits you, the grace of God to give, and you just say, here, here's a couple of bucks, and all of a sudden, joy explodes in you, and you're in the best mood all day. You, grace came, you obeyed, you gave, joy came. Amen. There is a direct correlation between obedience and generosity. So let's pray right now. Let's believe the Lord together. Father God, all that we have has come from you. You gave us ability to work. You gave us talent. You gave us ability. You gave us intelligence. You gave us drive. You gave us ambition. And now we're just giving back to you what is rightfully yours and then even more. So we thank you for the grace to give and we thank you for the joy that comes through obeying. And we just say, Father, bless your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. The ushers are coming by. And prayer under the screens. If you have prayer, you have a need, the the prayer and healing team are going to go underneath the screens right now. Don't hesitate. Come on up there. Get prayer. Thank you for coming. And greet someone with the love of God before you depart. Thank you for coming.